Welcome to Witch City Witches, a podcast from Salem, Massachusetts, exploring the practice of witchcraft. We explore witchcraft through many different lenses, including personal practices, tarot, astrology, ritual, and so much more. I'm Anna. And I'm Becca. And welcome to episode three. So this is the first episode that we've recorded since publishing the podcast. And we just wanted to say that we are super excited by the positive feedback we've received. And we're so glad that you folks are enjoying listening to our conversations. We actually got a couple of messages that were really nice. So I wanted to take some time to recognize that. We got messages from someone who said that he really resonated with a lot of what Becca had to say in the first episode about being self-taught and he was talking about how he didn't have an introductory path into witchcraft and he's struggled with imposter syndrome because of that and so he was really thankful to listen to becca's story and realize that there are you know several people who have had a similar path and felt very validated by that uh he used the the word affirmed so that's (laughs) awesome that's great to hear and I also got a message from someone else who has just sort of started her path on witchcraft, saying that she feels like we're helping you know, pave the path a little bit for folks who feel like outsiders and are looking for some encouragement to step into this. So, yeah, I think that that's actually a really great point. I was actually talking to um, a friend of a friend last week who, who lives in the area and has been to a couple witchcraft meetups and is not quite sure where to go or what path he's looking for. You know, I think that that's hopefully a resource that we can really provide people of what the different options are out there and um, different paths that you can try, different groups that you can join, different things you can do on your own. And also, you know, if you have questions, if you say like, you know, I'm interested in this and I don't know where to look for it, what should I be looking for? Definitely send us an email at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com and we'll announce on the podcast or in our blog on our website some resources to really help people find the community that you're looking for. Yeah, we actually, that reminds me, we did get a question through Instagram and it was asking, you know, what is the question that you hear most from, you know, folks who are new into witchcraft? Mm -hmm. And I actually found that a really difficult question to answer because I feel like there are sort of several questions that we hear over and over. And, you know, one of the questions that I hear a lot is people asking, you know, do spells work and are spells real? And I find it really interesting that that seems to be one of the sort of big gateways into into witchcraft is the idea of spell work. And I think that that comes from a place of people coming to witchcraft because they're looking to find more control in their own lives. Mm -hmm. And I think that spell work is a path towards that. Have you found that people ask you that as well? Yeah. I think, you know, the, the do spells work, the religious aspect of the what we were talking about before, with especially like, you know, with Lauren about like what part is religion and what part is practice and how it very varies for each individual person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the thing that I get asked the most is, you know, from people who are interested, they ask, you know, how do you start? Where do you start? Um, for people who are not interested, because I work in tech, and uh, I work with a lot of atheists. <laughs> and so for people who are not interested, I think the thing I get asked most often is, isn't that silly? Like, really? Yeah. Wow. Like, <laughs> I've like, never had someone flat out say that to me. I don't know what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, just the, you know, the, the aspect of like believing in anything is considered, you know, very like weird in a lot of, you know, like I said, I work in tech. Yeah. I work with a lot of atheists. 
So. I would just be so completely thrown <laughs> off if someone asked me to my face if that wasn't silly. That's that's astounding. I actually uh. <laughs> no. I had a I had a, a at my last job in Boston uh, like some I forgot what the conversation was, but somebody said, "What are we pagans?" And one of my coworkers was like, "You know, Becca actually is right." <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> "Oh wow!" And I did they apologize or they... Uh, oh uh, um but. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it's just one of those things that like people people talk about people talk about paganism and they talk about witchcraft in the wider world as if it's some bygone thing. It's fairy tales. It's history books. It's especially like you know, like I said, like I have a Greek pantheon, so like you know, I'm worshiping Athena and Hermes, and people are like, well, that's what people did like a couple thousand years ago, but we've moved on, right? No, like we're still here, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, so yeah, so I think that that's like the, from the, the greater world, I think just the outright dismissal of like, that's, oh, that's, that's cute. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, thankfully I haven't had too much of that. The question that I get a lot is, oh, you're a witch. Does that mean that you worship Satan? Mm. And that's one that I hear over and over and over. And, you know, I think that one of the things that we do want to address in this podcast is the difference between witchcraft and Satanism. And they are very, very different. And so, you know, the short answer is, no, I do not worship Satan. Becca also does not worship Satan. No. Uh, Satan is actually, and this is something that tends to ruffle feathers, is actually part of Christian mythology. And <clears throat> when I say mythology, I don't mean that in an insulting or dismissive way, but, you know, the, the pantheons of a religious belief system are that religion's mm-hmm. mythology. So right. in the same way that, you know, Athena is part of Greek mythology, mm-hmm. Satan is part of Christian mythology. But we do plan on having a guest in the future who is a practicing witch and a Satanist on the podcast at some point to discuss mm-hmm. those differences. So yeah. that's something well, to look for yeah. in the future. I think when you're talking about like different mythologies, I am a polytheist. I believe in a lot of gods, but I don't worship a lot of gods. I have a very select few gods that I actually interact with and worship. And um, I think that, you know, I don't not believe in Satan. I don't not believe in Jesus. I, they're fine. Like People worship them, they exist, but they're not part of my religious practice. They're just, right. they're people I don't talk to. <laughs> right. You know, they're people I don't have relationships with. And so I think that that is something that, um, that I really embrace about paganism and polytheism is that it can all exist, but it doesn't have to all be important to you. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point because a lot of people take a very hardline view and they say, well, you know, either you believe in this and you have to worship it, or if you don't worship it, it means you don't believe in it. And no, you can acknowledge something is there and acknowledge that it's not for you. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I recognize that many humans exist, but I don't want to interact with all of right. them. <laughs> and when I say I don't want that person in my life, I'm not saying that they don't exist. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. I might wish they didn't, but <laughs> that's a different story. So that's a kind of an important distinction. And I guess to circle back to the question of do spells work? Yes, but also, you know, no, if you don't do them properly. And I feel like there's kind of a very whole long discussion on spell work that needs to happen in a separate episode. Yeah, I think actually I've been thinking about this a lot and I think it is worth a whole episode, but just to briefly touch on it, um, there's a lot of people who say like, you know, you have to have these really specific ingredients. You have to have the exact incense and you have to have like this and everything. And other people are just like, no, your willpower is all you need. And I really think that both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. That 
at the base, yes, your willpower, your belief, your thought, that is all that's needed. But a lot of these spell recipes that have existed for a very long time, it's because the tech works and it will make it a lot easier mm -hmm. for you to get what you're going for if you build off of those recipes that other people have been building up over the centuries and millennia. But yes, you can accomplish a lot of things with just your willpower. I have to say, this is definitely giving me flashbacks to my days being, you know, a 16-year-old witch on the internet and getting into a very heated forum discussion with another witch. Um, and this was, you know, when I was still back in Brazil, but this was a person who was insisting that there was absolutely no way to perform ritual or magic without, like, a full arsenal of, you know, tools, altar mm -hmm. tools, you know, like athames and chalices, and you need to yeah. have, you know, your pentacle and this and that. And I kept saying, like, listen, if you can't function without tools, then you're not understanding the basis of your magic. And um it, it you know we got pretty heated and then we actually both got told off because um <clears throat> we were part of different groups that were sort of at odds and you know they were like oh stop it you're you know making our fights public but when i was fighting with this person we didn't know who right we were you know we were just two people engaging but then it became like a bigger <laughs> group <Yeah>. drama <laughs> So yeah, so I think that that's, that's something that I think deserves a longer discussion of like, you know, there are tools and there are tools because they work. You know, like I have whisks because it makes beating eggs easier, but you can totally use a fork. <laughs> that's know? a really good way of putting that. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, and then there will have to be kind of a whole discussion of, you know, works by folks like Silver Ravenwolf who tried to really simplify it through, mm -hmm. you know, like the Teen Witch book mm -hmm. and all that. Um but I guess we should refocus because we're going to end up doing the wrong podcast episode if we keep going, uh, which, you know, now 10 minutes in brings us to what this this episode actually is about. You know, this is our first episode that we're recording in 2020. And today we wanted to talk about the tarot cards of the year, you know, the year that we're leaving behind and the year that we're going into and some of the energies that surround that. And um, so 2019 was an Empress year. So we should explain how to ca calculate. Yes, this. absolutely. Um, so uh, tarot, when you say like, oh, the, 2019 was an Empress year, it's calculated through numerology. You basically add up the numbers. So two plus one plus nine equals uh, <laughs> 12. <laughs> I'm terrible at math. I should say that right now. Two plus one plus nine is 12, and then one plus two is three. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then 2020 is the emperor year um, with two plus two is four, basically. That's much easier math. I can do that without stuttering. Yeah. And just in case, uh, you know, this isn't obvious to folks, um, we, you know, we're skipping the zeros because obviously when you add zero, it doesn't add anything, but it would mm -hmm. be two plus zero plus two plus zero, which is 2020, which gives you four. And the Emperor is the fourth card in the Major Arcana. You know, the Empress was the third card. Mm -hmm. And so it's actually a pretty big shift in terms of energy. It's sort of, you know, opposite. When we look at the Empress and the Emperor, they are sort of the mother and father figure in the tarot deck. And so you're shifting from the mother energy to the father energy. And it's a, you know, it's a polar opposite in that they are literally polar opposites. Mm -hmm. So I think, well, I, I'd like to talk to the, about the Empress to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, so 2019 is an Empress year. What does that mean? A lot of people, and I'm, I'm part of a lot of like, you know, Facebook tarot card groups. And a lot of people say, it's the Empress, you're pregnant. Well, clearly everyone was not pregnant last year. Neither of us was. 
An aspect of the Empress that I think that gets overlooked, but I think is very important, is the resource gathering aspect of the Empress. That mm. when people say she's pregnant, she's gathering resources to give birth to something. Mm -hmm. She had she the Empress doesn't have a baby. The Empress is pregnant, waiting for that baby. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's kind of like this kind of like building energy. And I think that for you know like in the greater world there's a sort of like oh my god what are we building towards <laughs> because 2019 has been a pretty shaky year and 2020 hasn't really started off any less shaky that's certain like you know that's three, an interesting point world we, war three is trending on the yeah, yeah we're going from this thing that we're building into full-on aries energy which is very aggressive so yeah but um you know before we move too far ahead so uh, that's a really interesting point that you're bringing up about the empress so one thing that i've been doing as far as you know, my work with a divine feminine, I actually had uh, assembled a workshop a couple years ago that was on the archetypes of the divine feminine. And one of the things that we dealt with was the idea of the mother archetype and how do we adapt that to the contemporary reality uh, that acknowledges that women have a role beyond motherhood now. You know, when you look back to, you know, very long ago when we were still in hunter-gatherer societies, uh, division of roles along gender lines made a lot more sense just because of basic survival and mm -hmm. so when you look at the three archetypes in the divine feminine that tends to be the you know maiden mother and crone mm -hmm. and there's an expectation that that's how women move through life right you're a maiden and then you eventually become a mother and eventually you become a crone but there are many of us who don't have children and we still live the mother archetype and what does that look like and so I've been working on reframing the mother archetype into the creatrix archetype and the understanding that the things that we give birth to don't have to be um, physical babies. Mm -hmm. And so there are people, you know, there are women who identify with that motherhood archetype, not through literally giving birth. Some of them take on roles of, you know, caretaker and education, and they act as mothers to others in the world without physically birthing them. And there are people who work with that archetype on a much more abstract level through the creatrix archetype. There are people who are putting ideas and projects and products into the world that they are creating that are, you know, that it's something that they have nurtured and gestated and then birthed. And it's got nothing to do with literal biological motherhood, but it is still that process of gestating and creating. Um, and I guess I do want to put a disclaimer in there before we get too far that when we're speaking about, you know, women and motherhood, we are not doing that from a trans exclusionary standpoint. When we talk about women and motherhood, this is we we do refer to anyone who identifies as female. Yeah. And uh, and I will say when you talk about like, you know, the historical, you know, gender division, I think that um, archaeology is showing us that in a lot of cases, it's not so historical as we thought that. There are a lot of Viking burials that are getting dug up that everyone just assumed they were men because they were carrying swords. But, you know, when they look at their bone structure, they're like, this actually, this is probably a female body. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's easy to simplify the past. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that there's, you know, people, gender fluidity is not a new thing. Oh, absolutely so, not. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that a lot of the, the kind of the roles that we're stuck in are really from the last 150 years. Mm -hmm. Like, Victorian Britain, Britain really screwed us. <laughs> <laughs> like, that that whole, like, we think about, like, that 
kind of like everything else was like the same or worse but like things really got like bad for a lot of people at that point that's so true in a very similar kind of like separation of like the very rich and the very poor that's going on Mm -hmm. like in our current culture yeah um and that you know that that really changed the industrial revolution though that it really changed the social fabric and we consider it normal but it's new yeah, I mean, I think we've already discussed on the podcast that my background is in architecture. And so one of the things that I've studied a lot is the intersection of, well, it's called environmental psychology, but it's the intersection between, you know, the, the built environment and sort of social norms, social expectation and how it affects you. And one of the things that happened in Victorian times was that idea of women's spheres versus men's spheres, like mm-hmm. the idea of the parlor and the home really being the woman's realm. That became a very much sort of cemented during Victorian times and houses were designed with parlors and built to really accommodate a woman's life as being something that was fully contained within the home. Women were not expected to leave the house, especially with the Industrial Revolution. The outside world became considered dangerous. And so women were expected to stay in the home Mm -hmm. and homes were designed sort of with that expectation. Except for poor women who were expected to live in other people's homes and take care of them. Right. Yes. And of course, you know, history is always written through the lens of the victor and that's often the rich people. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what we're studying, you know, because the people who had money to be building houses anyway, obviously we're not, uh, you know, the folks of lesser privilege. Right. But yeah, so I think that the, the, for rolling it back to the Empress and 2019, I think that, you know, this sort of, this building, this, and it is also with the Empress, it is, there's a very, there has been kind of this um, withdrawing into ourselves that like the rise of nationalism across the globe really um, is sort of like a bad side of the Empress mm-hmm. of like you withdrawing into yourself, withdrawing into that home space, withdrawing into like, well, well, this is mine. I need the resources for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, obviously right now we're, we're both living in the United States, but I think that it's, it's a worldwide issue right now well, with the rise is. of nationalism. It absolutely is. I mean, you know, being Brazilian, I'm very focused on Brazilian politics and Brazil recently ex- elected Jair Bolsonaro, who is absolutely embracing those principles of nationalism. And, you know, I mean, we look at, you know, what, some of the things that have been happening in France, we look at Britain, and mm-hmm. it's definitely something that is happening, that has been happening globally. And now as we move into the emperor energy, it's going to be, it's a little terrifying to think of yeah. where things are happening, so heading. And, uh, yeah. So let's talk about the emperor a little bit. Um, well, so, actually, um, yeah, I think I have a couple more thoughts about empress oh, sure. before we do that. Um, because, you know, as we were talking about this sort of divide, uh, you know, of across gender lines and, the, mm-hmm. you know, the idea that it's kind of fabricated. But one thing that I like to discuss with people, uh, you know, because the empress is the ultimate abstract principle of the feminine divine. And so when we say, oh, you know, like it's a very feminine card and it's an empress here, and we talked a lot about women, but the reality is, is that this is a card that applies to everybody. Everybody independent of biological sex or gender identity has both divine feminine and divine masculine. And so, you know, it is our job as, you know, people moving through this world to understand how to balance those energies within us. So I just want people to keep in mind that when we're talking about these archetypes of energy, that they're not exclusive to any gender orientation. So everyone, you know, mass, you know, uh, female, male, n- you know, non-conforming, however you identify, you've still had to contend with the Empress energies. And uh, one of the things that I've sort of worked to sort of crystallize in my head is what does those principles really look like when you strip them down to their core 
you know, like core energies outside of gender construct and all the stuff that we've added to it. And, you know, feminine energy is about receptivity mm-hmm. and masculine energy is about projection. And so I think that the big lesson for the Empress year and one that, you know, I'm not saying that everyone managed to learn it, but I think that the big lesson that we were being called to is receptivity and receptivity specifically as it relates to love right? Because the Empress card is Venus, right? She has the Venus symbol and that's about love. And so I think that the question that the Empress asks is, how do you receive love? And I think that that's something that, especially these days with sort of how sharp the world is right now, that can be really hard to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a really, it's an interesting way to look at it of, you know, of, yeah, how, how do you receive love? How do you express love? How do you show, you know, to, um, how do you show that to others? And I think that personally, I've been trying to invite friends over more often. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to build my own social networks. We have started this podcast to reach out to the people in our community. But I think especially with like the, the bigger picture world that we're living in right now, it's those small things that really like, like they're the, the small fibers that really are make the whole thing put together so how do you receive love what are what are you gathering your resources for Mm -hmm. what are you metaphorically pregnant with Mm -hmm. um what you know so if if 2019 was spent you know being metaphorically pregnant what are you trying to give birth to yeah because now we're moving into 2020 we're moving from that receptive energy into that projective energy so that thing that you've been gestating you know is now going to move into a projective stage where it's coming forth i think that one thing that is worth noting um you know as we're discussing things through the lens of tarot is the 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 journey that happens in the major arcana right we have the fool's journey and we follow the major arcana in order and of course the order that they come in is really important and one thing to notice is you know we have our character we have the fool and the first card is the magician the second is the high priestess and so you could argue that there's some masculine feminine energy that's happening there still in that very abstract realm and then when it gets to the point where it's starting to manifest into you know mother earth or the empress the you know female principle is coming first and i think that that's deliberate right we have that sort of need for individuation that happens first with the magician you know, that gets softened by the intuition of the high priestess. And then when it comes time to manifest, it comes through the lens of the empress first. So I think it's really important to remember going into 2020 and into the emperor energy that that idea of love and receptivity and the gentleness that comes from the empress has to be present before you can move into the energy of the emperor. Otherwise, you're not going to have that balance. Right. So. And also, the other thing I wanted to talk about is that it is also a hanged man year. Mm-hmm. Because the, like I said, the two plus one plus nine is 12 and then mm-hmm. it was reduced down to three, but the 12 is still there. And so that hangman kind of like pulling back and like watching what's going on and not being as, um, as in touch possibly as the Empress on her own would be, mm-hmm. I think it's something to think about. Yeah. And the hangman yeah. also has that, of course, idea of, you know, turning things on their head and changing your perspective. Right. And I, I think that we can all say that, I mean, everyone that I've talked to feels like 2019 was a really rough year. And I think all of us were very sort of heavily challenged in our preconceptions of our lives in the world. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us had a lot of things sort of turned on their heads. And so 
yeah, it's definitely forced us to sort of evaluate, you know, our resources, our home base. and Yeah, it would be interesting to think about, um, uh, I don't have, I haven't thought about it ahead of time, but just <laughs> thinking about like the, that this year, the numerology gives us both 10, it was both 12 and 3, whereas a year like 2001 just gave us the Empress. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, how, how was the energy of those years different? And when the numerology gives you two cards, because of course in, in normal numerology, you always reduce down to a single digit. Right. Um, with tarot, since the cards go up to number 21, you can, you know, have both. Yeah. You look at those levels. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to put a question out there to our readers is, you know, how was 2019 for you and how do you feel like the Empress energy manifested for you? Because I'd love to hear some feedback on that. Yeah, that'd be really interesting. Yeah. And so, yeah, let's talk about the Emperor. Aries. <laughs> so uh, the Emperor, as you said, represents Venus, the love planet. The Emperor represents the astrological sign of Aries. That's what it's associated with, which is the first sign of the Zodiac. It is the Ram. It is a traditionally masculine uh, sign. And... Um, it's, it starts the zodiac, it starts at the spring equinox, and most Western astrology we use, it's referred to as the tropical zodiac, which is calculated not actually where the constellations are in the sky. So if you look at the sky and say, actually, like, it, I can see the sign of Leo, but my, the sign is that the star is actually in this other place, that is called sidereal uh, zodiac. The tropical zodiac is the spring equinox on March 21st or abouts there, whatever actually happens, sometimes the 22nd. Whenever the spring equinox happens, Aries begins. Mm -hmm. So, and we can get into astrology in another <laughs> episode, <laughs> but the, the earth wobbles. And, you know, two, 3,000 years ago, Aries was actually at that position in the sky. Uh -huh. It no longer quite is. It's off by 20 three degrees now mm -hmm. um so like uh, vedic astrology uses a sidereal zodiac so you'll find things are significantly different in a lot of places but aries is always the first sign mm -hmm. and so aries you mentioned is the ram and you know we can see the, the rams on the throne of the emperor you know in the rider weight deck and of course it comes sort of with that energy of ramming your head into things <laughs> You know, and you, you of course, briefly mentioned that idea of we might be heading into World War Three, and it definitely has that sort of combative energy to it of just sort of, um, you know, puffing your chest up and just, mm -hmm. you know, running into things instead of taking a more delicate approach. And so an interesting interpretation or note that I found, I, I recently started uh, exploring the Tarot del Fuego by Ricardo Cavolo. And he has a little note about the Emperor card, which says that the Emperor card represents self-control through intelligence. And so the interesting thing is that the Emperor has all this Aries energy, but the goal of the Emperor is to show that he has managed to find some restraint with that. It's not about just, you know, going wild. And right. so what do you do when you have that Aries energy and how do you learn to control that is, I think, one of the questions of the Emperor card. And I think going back to astrology, I think, you know, all signs, people sometimes think, oh, this sign sucks. This sign's amazing. But it really is how you manifest it in yourself. And yes. all things are great and all things can suck. <laughs> Aries are warriors. They, you know, it's, it's ruled by the sign of, by the planet of Mars. And like, they want to fight something. And choosing the right thing to fight 
mm-hmm. is the challenge of Aries. Because if you choose the wrong thing, you'll accomplish nothing, you'll go in circles, you'll be very frustrated and angry. If you choose the right thing, then you can transform the world in a positive way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to tap a little bit into, you know, the zeitgeist of what's happening now is, you know, if we look at the the first Wonder Woman movie, especially since there's a second one coming out this mm-hmm. year, uh, you know, the, the big bad in that movie was Ares mm-hmm. because he was the one who wanted war and was instigating war. Mm-hmm. And so that is very much the energy that we are going into this year and um you know this country has done a great job of showing that right off the bat you know in the the right away smith decks i'm using the uh, hanson roberts right now which has a lot of the same iconography but mm-hmm. is uh redrawn but it's also um anna has in front of her the uh the centennial edition of the right away smith you know he's holding the ankh mm-hmm. which is the symbol of life yeah and you know and, he, too, yeah. and he's you know and he's holding a globe and so it's very much the emperor is not tr- out there trying to... The emperor properly manifested is not out there trying to smash heads and take things by force. He is, like, the best representation of the emperor is a ruler who knows himself or herself because, you know, the cards are not that gendered, but who knows themselves and is is peaceful in that once you know yourself and you are steady on your own feet then you can advise then you can rule then you can you know you can take control and lead things in a better direction um you know you mentioned the tarot del fuego that you have i have the book here for the quantum tarot by um k stopforth and chris butler and their question for the emperor is how do you manifest your personal authority? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, you know, that's something to, to, to think, you know, it's, the emperor has authority, but yeah. how is it being manifested? And that's the question. Um, just like we said, like, you know, there's some bad parts of the empress that were manifested, like the, like, you know, pulling things in, making it about you and your tribe rather than the bigger world and bringing mm-hmm. to nationalism. The emperor can be a warmonger or the emperor can reign in peace like it's it's the emperor's choice right one thing that i think is really interesting if we go back to the smithwaite deck and look at that uh, imagery you know there is a figure of a you know old man sitting on a throne and he is wearing full plate armor mm-hmm. and that armor is you know covered in his robes and his fabric right but one thing to understand is that the emperor you know he's not someone who is ruling from a place of um sort of detachment he's not someone who was just sort of maybe born into uh you know the right bloodline and he's just you know sitting on that throne because of some you know made up you know divine right to be on that throne he has battled for his position you know mm-hmm. that's why he's wearing full plate armor but if you look at him he's also not carrying any weapons right he is now carrying the ankh and holding a globe and he is you know draped in these you know soft red fabrics and so you know that he has the experience he has fought those battles himself he's not someone who's ruling from a place of you know hypothetical knowledge he mm-hmm. has been there firsthand in the battlefield and he is willing you know this is someone who is willing to show up and fight the fight he is that leader who leads 
from the front not from afar right but the fact that he's now sitting comfortably and draping these fabrics he's saying you know i'm not ruling with my sword he mm -hmm. doesn't have any weapons on him you know he, there's the reminder of who he is you know he is old and gray because he has all that experience but now when he's ruling he's doing it from that place of you know knowledge and understanding and softness he is not there terrorizing people with a weapon into submission you know he's completely laid down the weapons and so you know it's that idea of how do you work from a place of authority without aggression mm -hmm. and uh i you know some of the words that i like to use rather than authority is the idea of sovereignty personal sovereignty mm -hmm. so because i feel like the word authority sort of implies authority over someone else right you can't be in a position of authority if there isn't someone below you mm -hmm. you know like you're just yourself and so I, you know, I think that the point of, you know, one of the points of the things that we're trying to accomplish as witches is that idea of personal power. And so I think that it's an important distinction to, to talk about personal power versus power over. And that's where I think that the distinction between authority and sovereignty is important. It's about you wearing your crown in your life and understanding where your, your personal power is, but also understanding that you don't have to have power over anyone else to be personally empowered. Right. I guess my hope for the Emperor year is that we, the, you know, the hopes and dreams that we've been gathering through the Empress year, we are able to birth that into something strong and powerful and beautiful and positive to go forward. Um, you know, there's, <laughs> we keep coming back to politics or I keep coming back to politics because there's a lot of really crazy shitty politics happening right now in the yeah, world. Yeah, there absolutely are. So I keep coming back to that. But I think that whereas maybe our leaders are uh, unstable, there are a lot of grassroots movements who are fighting them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, it's, it takes a, a lot of peasants to rise up against the king. That's <laughs> true. But I think that, um, you know, like you said, as witches in our small ways or in our large ways, I know a lot of people who are doing really specific, politically focused witchcraft magic work. Yeah. So I think that, you know, in big ways and small ways, really trying to push against that and counteract that. On the other hand, I should say like, oh, well, why don't all these spells work? Which you get to your original question, you know, why don't, you know, if you're doing witchcraft for better political, why aren't they working? The other side has magicians as well. Right. I think that that's. I think that that is a misconception that people have is that all witches are liberal. All witches have like you know this very modern what we would you know what we consider a good viewpoint because that's the viewpoint we're coming from. Right. There are a lot of there are a lot of people who use the, these same powers and skills mm -hmm. to ends that we don't agree with. Right. You know. So I think that. And that's a lot of what I was saying, like, there's a lot of, like, you know, political witchcraft groups, they're often hidden. They mm -hmm. they don't advertise themselves on Facebook because they don't want to tell people what they're doing because they don't want to be counteracted. Right. You know, it's interesting. That just reminded me of that group that exists called Witch Boston. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they mm -hmm. are an anonymous group that... Uh, you know shows up at protests and rallies yeah. they and... started in the 60s but they've, they've been changing over the years yeah. yeah and so they uh you know they are a group of people and 
you know, I, I was going to say women, but realistically, I don't actually know. They are anonymous and they show up dressed sort of in stereotypical, you know, air quotes, stereotypical witch clothes. You know, they'll wear like the pointy black hat and, you know, black clothes and their faces will be covered and they, uh, you know, show up at various protests. But that's the thing that's interesting is that they are anonymous mm -hmm. and, you know, that sort of protects them from some retaliation. And they are actually very committed to their work. Uh, like three years ago at this point, I actually reached out to them being like, hey, how does one join? And, you know, I'm interested. And they wrote back and they wanted a whole essay explaining why I wanted to be involved. And they said, you know, we expect a huge time commitment because we are actually super active. And I ended up not being part of it. So I am definitely not part of Witch Boston because I knew that I wouldn't be able to give them the time commitment that they wanted. But so there are people who are working really hard and anonymously out there, mm -hmm. like you said. Yeah. Um, but well, I think that that's, you know, I think that that's something that needs to be addressed as well as just, you know, different people have different views of witchcraft, different people have different views of magic. Um, there are people from all political spectrums that are involved in witchcraft, that are involved in magic, that are involved in paganism. Right. And I think that that's something that it's very easy to think like, oh, the witches, you're all, you know, liberal hippie types. And that is not at all true. Not so. only that, but, you know, as we've already sort of realized through just a couple of episodes, even pinning down what exactly witchcraft means is really difficult. And so there are people out there, you know, who are putting energy out there and projecting and basically casting spells, but they'd never call it casting a spell. But there are people who are spending time, you know, man projecting and praying and putting energy, you know, from the other side of the political mm -hmm. spectrum. And right. so... You know, when you have these dueling energies, literally, mm -hmm. you know, opposing sides, they're both pouring energy into this. You know, it sort of creates a little bit of a, a stalemate, right? Because, right. you know, you have people from both sides just pushing equally hard. And so, you know, yes, spells do work, but you also have to understand that they don't exist in a vacuum. So if you're casting spells, pushing directly against what someone else is doing, you might not get anywhere. <laughs> right. There's definitely uh, spell work works best when you push it against the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if you hit, if you try to do the most difficult thing first, well, there's reasons that it's the most difficult thing. But if you kind of like, just, you know, push the small things around, mm -hmm. it, um, it might take a little longer, but it uh, is more effective. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so um, on that super cheerful note of uh, the world, you know, burning, um, going back to that idea of, you know, the Emperor card and Emperor energy and, you know, what does that look like on a small, you know, personal scale? Because obviously there's these, you know, big, massive energies at work in the world, but, you know, we each have to live the Emperor energy in our lives. And we talked about that idea of, uh, you know, sovereignty and personal authority and, you know, I had already talked a bit about that idea of everybody has both divine masculine and feminine. And I think that for folks who identify as male, tapping into the divine feminine can be difficult, especially because, you know, the patriarchy has created a, a climate where men are not supposed to express their soft side. They're not supposed to have, you know, feelings and emotions and tap into their femininity. But on the other hand, you know, people who identify as women are told to not identify with their masculine side. And so I'm going to make an assumption here just based on experience that most of the people that we're speaking to are female identifying because that tends to be the trend in witchcraft circles. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean to be a female identifying person 
and tapping into the divine masculine. And I, you know, from having had discussions with some of my trans friends, I know that for, you know, trans women, that idea of reconnecting with divine masculine can be really difficult and triggering. And so I encourage people as they're thinking about the emperor energy to understand it kind of at its very sort of distilled level. And then again, it's that idea of projecting, right? Mm -hmm. If feminine energy is receiving and knowing how to receive the emperor energy, the divine masculine is about learning how to take up space. You know, women are taught to sort of shrink back and don't take up space, don't be seen. He's definitely a spreader. Right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the emperor is man-spreading and the rider white deck. But, you know, so a personal lesson within the emperor card is you are entitled to take up space. Mm -hmm. The space that you occupy in the world is yours and you're allowed to do that. And it's funny that you mentioned men spreading because that is that idea, you know, you're a woman on public transportation and you sort of sit down and we tend to kind of, you know, pull our bags into ourselves and kind of shrink back and be like, how do I inconvenience people as little as possible? And what happens if you even just take one day where you move through your life and just try not to shrink back, just be okay with the space that you take up. Yeah, it's actually like I've uh, done this experiment, just like walking down the sidewalk and not moving and not people. moving out the people's way. And mm -hmm. how many arms do you clip? A lot. <laughs> and that's the thing. So, you know, obviously you folks can't see us. I'm 5'1". Public transportation for me is super crappy because, you know, people just assume, oh, she's tiny. She doesn't need space. So we're going to practically sit on her and push her around. And so... Uh, you know, people will legit like stand there and just like stare over my head because they can and it feels it, You know, it's erasure. It's an experience of constant erasure mm -hmm. to be moving through space and having people just sort of Dismiss me because I'm little therefore I don't care about taking up space and so mm -hmm. trying to sort of push against that is a really challenging mental exercise and Yeah, people, you know, I'll end up walking into people because they're not even looking down enough to notice that I'm there <laughs> I'm I'm a physically larger person. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm about five seven, and uh, it's interesting you talk about the physical space. Is that as I've aged, I have been gaining weight. I was very thin as a teenager. Uh, that was my excuse not to give blood. Is that I was medically underweight. Um, I was so, medically underweight for many years too. Yeah. So, but as you know, I'm I'm in my forties, um, and as I got older, I've been putting on weight. And I know that medically, I need to cut my weight back down, um, you know, blood pressure reasons and stuff like that. I am not healthy and fat. I am, I need to lose some weight. Mm -hmm. And I, just, I also want to play, I know that there's a lot of people who are significantly larger than I am who are much healthier than I am. Right. And I just want to make it clear that I'm, that's not a, a general statement. Um, it's just about me, myself. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of my challenges... Um, and it's definitely a psychological challenge lurking in the back of my mind. We're like, you know, to be healthier, I do need to lose weight. I need to be more physically active. I need to take care of what I'm eating. Is that people allow me to take more space mm -hmm. because I'm larger. I'm not a frail blonde girl anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, and that has been somewhat freeing for me to not fit in, like, to not be that person that, is pushed around mm -hmm. and so i think that 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 has been a a, uh, a personally like you know psychological challenge for me that like there there are actually good things to being larger than i used to be mm -hmm. so yeah 
But yeah, the whole like taking up space and obviously the healthier thing would be to take up space by being physically stronger because I'm working out or because uh, to be mentally larger because I am projecting more of my energy outwards and like because you can like, you know, manipulate your aura to you know, there's the in, that's seen on the internet of, you know, the way to, to walk through the crowds is to just like, you know, just like think murder. Mm-hmm. And like, <laughs> and people get out of your way. Like, yeah. you know, and if you just like, if you're just like cold faced storming in a direction, the seas will part for you. And that is just like, that is your mental energy that you're putting forward. Like, this is what I'm doing. This is the direction that I'm going. And you all are going to get out of my way. Mm-hmm. And you don't clip arms anymore. People just part. Um, but it's kind of exhausting to do that all the time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, and, I, you know, and as we've been talking here, I've been sitting and thinking of that idea of, you know, as a female-identifying person, you know, I, I think that the, the, what the Emperor's challenge has to do is, you know, take up our space and be okay with it. But I also, you know, I would counter that with, you know, for people who are male-identifying, and again, this is not a criticism of anybody. We've all been part of this patriarchal system that's taught all of us, you know, really unhealthy mechanisms of moving through the world is, you know, as a masculine-identifying person, you are probably already more comfortable taking up space. And I would ask is, how can you take up space in a way that respects your sovereignty and your personal authority but scales back on the idea of authority over and power over others. Like, mm-hmm. how can you find a way to take up space and honor your right to taking up that space without infringing on the rights of others to do the same? Yeah. And I think you're talking about, like, you know, the divine masculine, and I think that of the people I know around town uh, that identify as witches, I am one of the few that actually I do have gods that I worship that are masculine, chiefly Hermes, who Mm -hmm. is perhaps not the most traditionally masculine of Mm -hmm. deities, but it's definitely, it is interesting that like, that he has, you know, come to me and expressed himself in my life. And, you know, it it is interesting, the, the idea of the, the, the divine masculine and what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And when I've done journey work, it's um, interesting, like, you know, everyone, like, you know, I said Greek pantheon, Zeus, king of the gods. I've never had a personal relationship with Zeus. It Mm -hmm. just seems very, you know, big sky daddy and, eh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but I've done journey work where I've been interacting with Hermes and he's led me to Zeus who then will give me a chant or something like that, that um, Mm -hmm. he he would give me like, you know, for lack of a better term, like a mantra of, of, you know, just like vowel sounds to say, but I still don't feel like I'm personally interacting with Zeus. I always have to use Hermes as an intermediary and it's never my choice. Mm-hmm. It's always just like, oh no, this is, this is where we're going. Mm-hmm. But it is, you know, I, I enjoy having, you know, both masculine and feminine deities I mean, my practice definitely skews more heavily towards the divine feminine, Mm -hmm. you know, being of a a Dianic lineage, but I do still have a relationship with some uh, masculine deities, and one of them is Kirnunos. And the interesting thing about Kirnunos to me is, you know, he is the green man, you know, Mm -hmm. he lives in the woods, he is the spirit of the forest, and this is a form of the divine masculine that exists within the order of nature. So Mm -hmm. he is a, a being that is existing within the context of, you know, all of nature and creation and so he has to be in balance with that he's not a masculine energy that is out of balance with that or mm-hmm. sort of you know pushing to take up more space than he should so it's that idea of being divine and masculine within natural order right 
where Hermes is a trickster god. So yeah, <laughs> and I I don't know if it was Cardenas, but I know that when it was either the the Greek or the Romans when they first like went north and hit Celtic countries, and they're like, oh yeah, they 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 worship Hermes there, mm-hmm. um, or they you know they worship Mercury, and there was like this like this synchronism. So I think that we want to talk briefly about our personal cards. Yeah, and well, so I guess just to sort of regroup all the stuff that we've talked about is, you know, the question that we leave you as you sort of wrap up your Empress year is, you know, what lessons did you learn about the ways that you receive love? Mm -hmm. And going into the Emperor year, the question is, you know, how do you uh, focus on your personal sovereignty and authority and that idea of power outside of the idea of power over others? Mm And so when you talk about our personal cards, what does that mean? So the same way you can use numerology to just have the general card of the year, you can add your birthday to that. So not your birth year, but just so I'm a Pisces, my birthday is March 18th. So I would add three plus 18 to get 21, add that to 2020, and it breaks down to um, seven is my 2020 card. Some people do calculate this based on birthday. So my 2020 card wouldn't start until March, mm-hmm. um, but some people calculate it. It's, it's up to you. Tarot doesn't have hard rules. It has suggestions and you work whatever works best for you. Mm-hmm. So last year would have been the lovers and this year would be cha- uh, the chariot for me. Yeah. And how I'm, how I'm seeing that for myself just briefly is the lovers year is about choices and opportunities. And I started a lot of things. I have a lot of different paths that Mm -hmm. I ended 2019 on, uh, this podcast being one of them. And um, my goal with the chariot moving forward is to really take the reins of that Mm -hmm. and, you know, figure out which of those paths are the ones that I need to be driving down. Mm -hmm. So my birthday is September 23rd. So my card for last year was strength and I'm moving into a hermit year. And 2019 was a really difficult year for me personally and for my family. We had a, a lot of struggles. So I think that, you know, to me, the strength card feels very obvious in terms of just having to really dig deep. And now um, moving into a hermit year is very interesting as so much of my work is sort of outward facing and community based. And here we are starting this podcast saying we want to reach out to more people. And my card is the hermit. Um, <laughs> so it's that idea of withdrawing from society. And so mm-hmm. I think that for me, it's going to be a, a year of figuring out how to balance that. I obviously need to do some more work as far as turning inwards and having some personal insights with the hermit. And, uh, you know, but I don't plan to stop my community oriented work. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually just announced registration for my uh, craft based retreat. And I say craft, meaning like arts and crafts, not like witchcraft. Uh, <laughs> that happens every May, but I just opened the you know registration for this year for that. So I'm definitely doing a lot of very community-centered work, but I think that the Hermit card is going to keep pulling you back to, okay, now you did the community thing, now retreat and figure out your thing. I often, I see the Hermit as relying on their own uh, insights and relying on uh, spiritual guidance, but not taking advice from other people. Oh, that's a good point. So, um, so you know, he's gone up to the, the mountains so that he doesn't have to deal with the, the general hubbub, but he's holding his lantern so that he's shining that light, that mm-hmm. inspiration he has. And so that if other people want to come up the mountain, they can also climb the hill to the monastery and learn what the hermit has to say. Mm-hmm. But it's sort of, um, it's sort of a one way uh, yeah, so I'm going to find a hill to 
to have my like witch hut on and you can all take some pilgrimages to come talk to me i I guess that's what we're doing this year i actually very much like that idea (laughs) and so if you want to figure out your own um card for this year what's going to be accompanying your emperor journey so take you know the day of your birth the month of your birth Mm -hmm. and the year 2020 and reduce the numbers and actually we would really love to hear what your card is so Leave us a comment on Instagram if you like. We're at Witch City Witches or shoot us an email at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com and let us know. Well, also, um, you can leave a comment on the blog for this episode. Yeah. And uh, before we go, actually, I did want to ask you a sort of an off-topic question. Mm-hmm. And thank you for everyone, uh, to everyone who's made it this far with us. Is So Becca and I, after we recorded the previous episode, we had our you know personal Yule celebration. And one thing that I've learned from Becca is that she... Uh, does this bit of spell work where we write wishes on bay leaves and burn them to release them. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't something that I was familiar with before I met you. So I you know, I wanted to share that with our listeners as something that they can try, but I wanted to learn a bit more about where that came from and the meaning behind that from you. Sure. So bay leaves, um, they're, often call- they're also called bay laurel. And they are actually the same leaves in a laurel crown mm-hmm. that you would, like, you know, when you see pictures of Roman emperors and they have those crowns of leaves on their heads, those are laurel leaves. They're the same bay leaves that you put in spaghetti sauce. Right, yeah. So, um, and so they have this kind of long-standing tradition of being a plant for victory. And, you know, this is your reward is you get bay leaves. Um, so they have this very positive association from, uh, from, Roman times, and they are used for a um, a sort of smoke cleansing, um, the way that people would use white sage now or juniper. There's a, I know people are really moving away from white sage because it's endangered, and I am not deliberately not using the term smudging because that is a specifically Native American practice which I do not practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but just generally smoke cleansing, yes, um, is pretty widespread among a lot of different cultures and it is using incense basically to spiritually purify the space Mm -hmm. at its most basic so there's those sort of associations that you know it works the same as the white sage would where it cleanses the space uh, for spirituality people use the and i'm not sure exactly where the tradition of writing things on bay leaves came from I know that I'm not the only person that does this, um, and people use them for two ways. To either um, they write negative things on the leaves to release them, or they write positive things on the leaves to bring them in. And it's really the intention that you set when you do your spell work of which mm-hmm. one of those things you're trying to do. But it is also a way, you know, it's very traditional to write what you want on something burnable and then release it into the smoke, and then yes, the smoke, smoke rises up to you know, the, you know, the greater world, um, to make that manifest. So the writing on the bay leaves is sort of, you know, combining those things of, um, you are not using paper and burning it. You are using a plant material that has specific associations to write your your spell work on so it's kind of combining those things all into one. Yeah. So it's that idea of, you know, having tools helps the spell. You don't need it, but... It also smells really great. Yeah, and you know what? It makes a really fun crackling sound when you burn it, so that's an added bonus. (laughs) I would recommend um, to, uh, I I burn it, I have a metal table that I burn things on because it can burn either much faster or much slower than you expect and you want to drop it real fast when it gets close to your fingers. (laughs) (laughs) 
And, uh, Hashtag you know, practical witchcraft. <laughs> Non-flammable surfaces. I learned that one in high school. Uh, yeah. Oh, high school. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And we've been talking for almost an hour, so we're going to wrap up this podcast. But thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, next time, we will be talking about Imbolc and some Imbolc magic. And we really look forward to that. And I'm Anna. I'm here with Becca. We are Witch City Witches. You can follow us on Instagram at Witch City Witches. You can check out our website at witchcitywitches.com. And if you have any questions or comments, please email us at askawitch at witchcitywitches.com. And thanks so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, guys.